This morning we're starting a new series on the hymns of Advent. We're going to be looking at five, five hymns over the month of December. Uh, today we're beginning with Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. All these songs that we're looking at each Sunday of December are ones that are rich in theology, biblically grounded, and are all about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to be going line by line through these hymns, but we'll be looking at passages each week that each song either alludes to or has its foundation in. I was, as we were thinking through this as, as pastors, um, I'm, I, came across, I came across a series that was, that was preached by Lig Duncan a few years back, and he did something very similar to this. And this is what, this is what he hoped his congregation would gain from this series. And, and I shared it with, with Eric and Caleb, and they were both like, yes, this is what we hope we would gain from a series like this. So three, three gains from this series. The first is we want you to understand the beautiful poetry of the familiar words of the carols that you sing year after year. Christmas carols are among the, the songs that we sing most frequently, the ones that we have most memorized, at least the first stanza of many of our familiar Christmas carols we know by heart. I, I know y'all can relate to this. Um, at night in December, uh, Christy and I have been singing uh, a carol with the boys. Um, you may not be able to relate to that, but... You'll be able to relate to this. So we'll start, and we're like, all right, let's, let's sing, oh, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And we're like, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And we get to it, and we're like, and then we pause. We're like, uh, whoa, what's next? <laughs> so we know this, right? We, we understand this. We'll, we'll sing the first, and then we're like, all right, we, we don't know the rest, but we know, we know some of them. Second... We want these carols to serve as windows into the biblical story, right? One of the things that our worship team does so well is they choose songs that are rooted in the Word of God so that as we sing week in and week out, we are gaining a theological mindset. We're, we're memorizing big concepts from the Word. Many times we're memorizing the Word of God through the songs that we sing, even today, as we look at Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, you're going to see where some of the, the words in that hymn are directly from this passage in Luke 2. So we want to see how it, how it introduces us to the biblical story. These carols are designed to poetically express truths based directly on particular scripture passages. And so we want to use these carols as windows into that glorious redemptive story. Thirdly, we want the scriptures to illuminate particular poetic expressions of biblical truth that we sing in these carols. We want our understanding of what God says in scripture to enrich the praises and petitions that we lift up to him through this beautiful poetry found in these familiar and beloved carols and hymns. I, I think many times as, I, as I've been pondering this series, as I've been pondering the songs that we sing, Many of us feel ill-equipped to talk about theology, to, to have a conversation about the scriptures. But we have a deep theology memorized because of the songs that we sing. 
You know, this morning we sang, we've already sang four songs about the coming of Christ, the incarnation, God in the flesh. And this is, this is big theology that we are singing week in and week out. You may think that you're ignorant in theology, but I promise you, as we go through these, these hymns, these carols over the next five weeks, I think you're going to step away and go, wow, I need to write a book. No, I'm kidding. But you may, I, I think we're going to grow. We're going to see, no, there's huge theological um, ideas in each of these, these carols, each of these hymns that we're going to look at and, and, and think through. So this morning, we are looking at Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We've already sang it once. We're going to sing it again after the sermon. But I want to read it to you. And then we're going to read Luke 2. Come, thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation. Hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation. Joy of every longing heart. Born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. This hymn was penned by by Charles Wesley in 1744. It's a part of a collection of hymns called Hymns on the Nativity of Our Lord. Coming off of our Exodus series that we just finished last week, this hymn gets to the heart of what the Israelites were longing for. They longed for a Messiah who would come and set the people free. They saw glimpses of this in Moses, but they longed for one greater than Moses. They would have no knowledge of the one called Jesus but they would be longing for the one sent by God, a Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. They were longing for that because God told them that he was sending one to redeem them, to deliver them from sin. As we sing this hymn over this month, let us be encouraged that Jesus has come and he has brought salvation not just to the Israelites, but also to all nations. Our passage this morning that's foundational to this hymn is Luke 2, 25 to 32. Today we're going to meet Simeon, who models this hymn for us. In Simeon, we'll see one who is longing for the Messiah. Let me read Luke 2, 25 to 32. Our big idea out of this text is let us long for Jesus. Let us long for Jesus. Luke 2, 25 to 32, it can be found on page 805 in the the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to grab one, take it home, read it. Luke 2, 25 to 32, this is what it says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus... 
to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, we see Simeon meets Jesus and he breaks out into song, into a blessing of God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for your word. Father, would you move our hearts to to long for Christ? (coughs) Would we gaze upon Jesus today? Would we see his beauty in this passage? We pray all this in his name. Amen. In In these short verses, we're given a snapshot of who Simeon is. (coughs) <coughs> Sorry, I need my, can I grab my water? <coughs> my bad. I knew before I walked up I needed that. <coughs> Gosh. <coughs> the context of this passage it's one, of, it's one of the Gospels. It's, it's one of the most detailed Gospels we have. It was written to a Gentile audience. And Luke is writing to this audience with a very clear purpose. In Luke 1, 3 and 4, he said, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things You've been taught. Do you, did you hear Luke's goal in this gospel? It's for Theophilus, it's for the audience to have certainty about the gospel. He longs for us to be convinced that Jesus is not only the Messiah of the Jews, but he's also the Savior of the world. And we see this today in this passage. Our passage picks up after Jesus is born, but is rooted in a promise given to a particular person, Simeon. But it's also to a particular people, Israel. But what we get to see here is, yes, this, this promise is given to Simeon and Israel. But, but Simeon here, he opens it up to the world. He says, yes, it's a promise given to your people, God. But it's a promise for the nations. This is a beautiful passage. And Charles Wesley took this, and he wrote this incredible hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. You see, Simeon here was a Jew living in Jerusalem. We learn here he was righteous and devout. He was waiting and longing. It says here, the consolation of Israel. This consolation, right, we, 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 we sang it earlier. What does that mean? Well, it's it's this idea of being comforted by the coming of Jesus. Being comforted by the coming of Jesus. He was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit actually revealed something incredible to him. It says that he he would actually see this consolation of Israel come before he would taste death. 
He's a regular in the temple. And the Spirit leads him at this specific time to go to the temple. Why? So that he would meet Jesus. He would be able to to see Jesus before he would die. (coughs) He meets the Lord's Christ because his parents at this particular time were being obedient to the word of God. It says he was, he was taken there according to the law. When he meets Jesus, he blesses God, for he knows the longing has finally been fulfilled. This blessing with which he blesses God is a beautiful song that we'll look at in depth today. From these four verses, we see incredible theology from which our hymn is rooted in. We also see the worship. Listen, this is incredible. We see the worship of a man that exemplifies what, we, what should be true in all of our lives. A longing for Christ. <coughs> for Christ. So I want to give us three reasons based on verses 29 to 32 for why we should long for Jesus. Why we should long for Jesus. Reason one for longing for Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is the salvation salvation Simeon and Israel have been longing for. Wesley's hymn celebrated Jesus coming into the world. The one who was longed for, the one who would redeem a people from all their fears and sins. He would free them for salvation is found in Christ He says in 29 and 30, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon says, I've seen it. I've seen it, Lord. That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. This this idea of salvation, Bruce Damaris, he, he, he defines it this way. The word salvation denotes negatively deliverance from sin, death, and divine wrath. So on one side, we're being delivered from sin and divine wrath. But positively, there's a bestowal of far-ranging spiritual blessings, both temporal and eternal. When we are saved, we're blessed, not just in this life, but for eternity. This is salvation. You see, Jesus' name actually means, it comes from the word Yeshua, Joshua. Yahweh is salvation. Wesley writes, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thy all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. This is what Christ has done. He has saved us. He's released us from the bondage of sin. He's released us from the fear of death. So what exactly? Here, we see Simeon was longing for this. The Jews were longing for this. What were they longing for? And why was salvation needed? From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, there's an overwhelming message of the Bible. And it's this. God's plan to save his image bearers. 
Genesis 1 to the end. God's plan to save his image bearers. That's it. So as we work through this real quick, I'm just going to do a biblical theology of that. <coughs> Super fast. I'm trying to look at places I can like X out and like move on because I'm coughing so much. But y'all know, like, y'all just know it's, it, it's bothering me pretty bad. So, and I'm frustrated right now at my health. So, uh, Genesis 1 through 3, we see God create an incredible world. A world that he looks at and he says, it's good. He creates man and he says, it's very good. He gives them this garden to live in, to keep, to obey his word. And he says, don't eat this fruit. Everything is yours. Don't eat this fruit. Genesis 3 comes along. The snake comes up. He's like, did God really say? Eve's like, yeah, let me bite into it. Adam and Eve both, they bite into this fruit. Sin enters into the world. God had said, death will enter into the world if you eat the fruit. Death enters into the world. Now Adam and Eve will no longer live in a relationship with God. But now they'll be separated from God for eternity because of their sin. Genesis 3, the curse of the fall happens. The man is addressed. The woman is addressed. The the serpent is addressed. And in Genesis 3.15, what we read is there's a promise that through the seed of woman, through the seed of woman, there there would be one who would come and would crush the head of the serpent. Crush the head of the serpent. But there's also the the other part of that from from the serpent. The serpent would actually strike the heel of this offspring, of this seed. So there's a promised seed of woman there in Genesis 3. As we continue to move through Genesis, in Genesis 12 to 15, we see this covenant promise to Abraham. God says, hey, I am going to bring about an offspring from you. There's going to be a seed from you. And it's a promised seed. It's a promised offspring that would come from Abraham. And, and through this offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. As we continue on, Genesis 49, it ends with a blessing over the 12, the 12 sons. And, and in Genesis 49, there's a promise to the tribe of Judah that there would be a king that would come from that line. Exodus 12, we saw it a few weeks ago, the Passover lamb. We're looking forward to a Passover lamb. Deuteronomy 18, the people of Israel are promised a better prophet, one who would come, who would be better than Moses. 2 Samuel 7, David is promised an eternal king on an eternal throne. Isaiah 53, there's a suffering servant that is promised. Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, there is a new covenant that is coming where the word of God will actually be written on our hearts. We will actually be able to have new hearts, not hearts of stone, but hearts of flesh. They were longing for the promises of God to be fulfilled. They were anticipating the coming of one who would crush the head of the serpent. But you see... As they're anticipating this, they're still breaking the law. They're lost in their sins and trespasses. They're dead, Paul says in Ephesians 2, in their sins and trespasses. They're in need of someone outside of themselves to keep the law, to stand in their place, to crush the head of Satan, and to provide eternal life. 400 years have passed from the last time they heard from a prophet, Malachi, to where this picks up in Luke. 400 years of anticipation 
for the consolation of Israel to come. The Jews were longing for the Lord to save. Simeon meets Jesus and his longing is fulfilled. We get to see his longing fulfilled. He's one that knows by the Spirit this is the consolation of Israel. And then the beauty of this, Simeon is a Jew, but the beauty of this, his eyes have seen it. And then verse 31 says that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. This salvation has been prepared and taken place in the presence of Jews and Gentiles, Jews and the nations, Jews and us. The salvation, according to Simeon, is for the whole world. We long for Jesus because he brings salvation. We long for Jesus because this salvation is not just for Israel, but it is for the whole world. A question, have you realized your need for salvation? Or are you running to other gods to save you? Are you running to the perfect job? Are you running to the perfect relationship? Are you running to the almighty dollar? Are you running to addictive substances? Jesus is our salvation. I encourage you to turn to Jesus today and find salvation that the Lord has provided for you. First reason we should long for Jesus is Jesus is our salvation. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that Jesus is our salvation? Because in Christ there's hope for a broken world. And for those who have repented and believed in Christ, there's benefits for believers. Right earlier, salvation defined negatively, saved from these things but saved for these things. What are the benefits of being in Christ? There's new life in Christ. You're reconciled to the Father who created you to worship and adore him. You were created to worship, and now in Christ you can be reconciled to the Father, so now you can actually worship the one who created you. You're adopted into God's family. God looks at you as a son or daughter that is precious in his sight. You're justified. You're made righteous. You're in union with Christ. You have joy, unspeakable, and eternal life is guaranteed. We long for Jesus for he is the one who provides salvation. But also here in what we learn from Simeon is that he's also the light of the world. Verse 32, the first part of it says he's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That which was given to the Jews has now been revealed in Christ to the whole world. He is light for revelation to the Gentiles. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The need for light is apparent. Jesus says, if we follow him, we will not walk in darkness. Right? Get this for a second. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, right, will not walk in darkness. So what does that mean for those who are not following Christ? They're walking in darkness. Light and dark. It's a picture we see throughout the scriptures. One, one pastor, John Piper, 
he gives, us, he, give, he, he gives us four reasons or what this means that Jesus is the light of the world. First, he says, Jesus' being the light of the world means the world has no other light than him. If there's going to be light for the world, it'll be Jesus. It's Jesus or darkness. There's no third alternative, no other light. It's the only, it, it's the only way you can walk in the light. It's the only way you can truly see is in Christ. Second, it means, therefore, that all the world and everyone in it needs Jesus as their light. If Jesus is the light of the world, all the world needs him because all the world is in darkness apart from Christ Jesus. It means, third, that the world was made for this light. This is not a foreign light. This is the light of the owner of the world. When this light comes, it not only makes sin plain as foreign and ugly, but it also makes everything good in the world shine with its full, tr full and true beauty. The world was made to be illumined by this light. This light of Christ is native to the world. And fourth and finally, Jesus being the light of the world means that one day this world would be filled with this light as the waters cover the sea. And all darkness and all the works of darkness and all the sons of darkness will be cast out. In that day, all will be light. Jesus, the radiance of the Father, will fill the world and everything will be beautiful with the light of Christ. This language we see, God cast out darkness in Genesis 1. Let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. We see a plague in Exodus. Darkness will cover all of Egypt, and it happens. In John's gospel and in the, his first letter, 1 John, he tells us we walk in darkness apart from Christ. The world needs light. And this light, according to Wesley, he says, it is the hope of all the earth. It is the desire of of every nation. It is the joy of every longing heart. So again, why does this matter, brothers and sisters? Why does it matter that Jesus is the light of the world? The earth needs this hope. The nations need this joy. And if you are a follower of Christ, this is good news. If you are a follower of Christ, then you have now become the light of the world. We bring light to darkness when we proclaim the good news. So where are you today? Are you walking in the light or are you living in darkness? Are you living in the sins of your flesh? Are you pursuing darkness instead of light that Jesus provides? Jesus is the light of the world and through him we can have all of our greatest desires met. He is the joy of every longing heart. Christ is our salvation. He is the light of the world. He has brought light. And you can have this light today if you'll turn from your sin and believe in Christ Jesus. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he was raised on the third day, showing that everything he said was true. He did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to seek and save the lost. Oh, that the nations would hear. But Simeon's blessing reveals one more reason to long for Jesus. And it's found in the, at the, in the last section of 32, that Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. 
Simeon says that he is for glory to your people, Israel. It's a parallel with the first part of 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, but also for glory to your people, Israel. It's glory to your people. We've seen the glory of God throughout the book of Exodus. We wrapped up last week with the glory of God descending on the tabernacle. We see other glimpses of God's glory, yes, in Exodus, but also throughout the scriptures. In Isaiah 6, he sees the glory of God filling the throne room. It causes him to bow down, to fall on his face and say, woe is me. We see other glimpses throughout the prophets. You see, one one commentator said it like this. The Jews already had the divine revelation. They had the word, but awaited the manifestation of the glory God had promised. They're waiting for it. God, show me your glory. In Habakkuk 2.14 There's a longing and a promise that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Jews were longing for this. And with the coming of Jesus, it began. It started. When Jesus came, he was the glory of God on display. God with us. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that Jesus is the glory of God? Because the true and better tabernacle has come. Jesus is the glory of God on earth. And if you are in Christ, we're now God's glory on display because of Christ's work in us and the indwelling of the Spirit. Let us display his glory throughout all the earth. For one day, when Jesus returns, come thou long expected Jesus. One day, when Jesus returns... God's glory will be a constant. It will fill the new heavens and the new earth. As our our band comes back to close us out in singing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. For us, for those who are followers of Christ, this passage and this hymn has a twofold beauty to it. One, For the Israelites, there was a longing for the Messiah to come, and he came 2,000 years ago. That's what we celebrate this month, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's also another, another, just another um, anticipation, another longing for believers. And it's a longing for Jesus to come back. It's a longing for Jesus to come back. Come thou long expected Jesus. Yes, he came. Simeon saw it. Israel Israel saw it and they put him to death. But as we sing this hymn over this month, yeah, may we look back and see God's promises fulfilled, but may we look forward for the return of Jesus. And may that longing compel us to tell the nations of the joy and hope that is found in Christ. For he is our salvation. He is the light of the world. And he is the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You're faithful. Your promises are true. Father, now as we sing, may we long for Christ's return. Pray this in his name. Amen.